of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. And today on the show, I've got a wonderful lady. She uh, she uh, drums in the bands Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Duckling. Um, I've seen Ruth Bader and they're fucking awesome. Definitely catch one of their shows sometime. I've not seen Duckling yet, but we were just talking about it. I need to see Duckling. Um, Queen Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm well. I've had um, a very uh, jam-packed day. Mm -hmm. uh, I've written three breaking and articles, breaking and entering articles today. I have one more, uh, but this last one will be a little more fun, like because I get to write about my experience at Riot Fest yesterday. Oh, nice! Yeah, I saw Ween. Oh, that's awesome. great. Yeah, Probably they... better than when they were at the rave. Did were you at that show? No, mm -hmm. I heard it was bad. Well. They played the mollusk all the way through, so... Yeah, you see a ween at Riot Fest for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, it was it was awesome. Nice. Um, they played like a two-hour set. And then I also saw American Football. Okay. So it was, uh, it was a pretty solid time. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've been doing that. And then I... Um, I don't know. I don't have any shows to cover tonight. So it's nice to finally just be able to, like be home for once. Mm -hmm. What did you do today? Um, I also had a very busy day. I went to work from 9 to 5. And then ah. I came home, and then I made tacos, and watched South Park, and then I came here. Okay, that sounds pretty wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Um, uh, like, new South Park. Mm -hmm. I, it got really good again. I know, it's great. Yeah. Like, I kind of, I used to be, like, obsessed with South Park in, like, middle school, like, most boys are mm -hmm. but then like in high school I kind of fell off for a couple years but then when I got to college I started watching it again right when they were starting to like make fun of like PC culture mm -hmm. like in like 2015 or so mm -hmm. like PC principal and all that mm -hmm. it's great yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's really good cool. well uh, I hear you uh, you're busy recording this week what do you what do you got mm -hmm. going on uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is putting down some tracks this week Exciting. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, cool. What do you, uh, what are you ladies uh, piecing together? Like, is it, like, uh, do you have a project in the works? Yeah, it's our first full-length album. Awesome. So yeah, we've tracked a bit of it in the winter. Okay. So yeah, we have to go piece by piece because everyone's pretty busy, unfortunately. Yeah. How do you? Uh, yeah, like, is what seven of you? Seven or eight. Seven, yeah. yeah. Like, getting everyone's uh, lives together and like. Yeah. All in one room, I imagine that gets really challenging. Yeah, we sometimes have to get together to just talk about that. <laughs> it can be it can be like the most fun though, because sure. you're just like low key meeting, eating snacks, mm -hmm. drinking some wine, figuring out when you're gonna see each other. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I know it's, uh, but I, I give a lot of credit to bands that have so many pieces that you know are able to continue to move forward with tracking and putting music out like that. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I'm excited about awesome. it. Awesome. Cool. So Quinn, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we examine love and fear through our passionate and creative minds. Um, so I'm interested in hearing about 
uh, I guess to start, where you really started finding um, music as uh, a creative outlet for yourself. Like, where, like, I guess, tell me a little bit about your musical background. Um, yeah, I grew up in a very musical family. I had a dad that is a musician. Um, he kind of like is a musician as well as a tech guy, so it's kind of like a combo of that oh, too. So I was really interested in music at an early age. I honestly thought my dad was a Beatle for a while because he listened to the Beatles all the time. Mm -hmm. I listened to the Beatles in the car. He looked like a Beatle. He had like black hair. Oh, yeah. He was tall. As a kid, I was like, you're a Beatle. Yeah, <laughs> super, super 60s cool. looking. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, early on, played a lot of music. Um, got a drum set when I was 13 years old, which is pretty cool. And played in bands when I was younger. It's always kind of been a part of my life, I would say. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, uh, was it sort of like the, I play an instrument and I'm in high school, who wants to start a band sort of thing? Um, it kind of always, like, fell into place for me in a weird way. Like, especially, like, as a drummer, I feel like you're not always the one, like, leading the charge, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. Duckling, it wasn't that way. It was like, I want to do this, and, like, I'm going to find people who want to do this. Mm -hmm. But in general, it's just, it's often been a group of um, femme-oriented people who are looking to make music, and that's... We're like, you're a girl, you play the drums, let's do that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, have like your bands. I know that, yeah, Ruth Bader is all femme. Mm -hmm. Like, were you playing in bands with like mostly dudes before Ruth Bader? Um, no. My okay. first band, the first couple of bands that I was in were completely like femme people. Oh, awesome. Um, and then I would like jam with guys and I actually always like liked doing that a lot because I had a group of guy friends that were just like really into like funk music back then that was like super fun for us to play with each other and just getting kind of crazy. So sure. yeah, a little mix of both. That's all. Yeah. It's cool that you've had like the, the mixed gender uh, experience when it comes to the format you're playing in. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess like, uh, how did, um, Ruth Bader, uh, form as as a musical project i was just telling this story oh wow a couple days ago because i hadn't honestly thought about it in a while yeah and then i had to like ask other people like what were we doing like i mean obviously like the story is pretty cute yeah. we were like <laughs> at locust Street days i think four or five years ago um and at that point I feel like the music scene in River West was very different. Mm -hmm. It felt very like on the precipice of something back then. And there was just like a lot of general enthusiasm, I would say. It seemed like a lot of people, maybe I'm just showing my age right now, but it seemed like a lot of people were going out all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was like a big community back then. Um, and yeah, we were kind of just like in the mix with that. Mm -hmm. um, and a few of us knew each other, like, very well and then a few of us knew each other very peripherally and then it all kind of like converged at Locust Street Days. We ended up going to a bonfire that was like a couple houses from here nice. at oh. the old Cribber's Tiny Kingdom. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> and we just started like vocally jamming on one of Tracy's songs and that's how it started. Awesome. Yeah. So how do you feel like um, the music scene has sort of evolved in that short amount of time? Like do you feel like people still go out and are enthusiastic for like the live setting that they were before? Um, I think it's different now. 
Like I said, I might not have the best perspective, but it seems a little different to me. I don't know. I think we're in a transitional phase right sure. now. Sure, yeah. Um, I think that there was, for like a hot minute, like some pretty good like national attention, and I think that that's probably continuing. I'm probably mm. just not in the know of it like sure. it was back then. Oh, we are, uh, we're doing what we can, I would like <laughs> to say. Um, yeah. I, like, I mean, I'm what only... What do you think? I, sure. So, <laughs> well, I have only actually really been, like, uh, in touch with the music scene for, like, the past year. Okay. Um, when I started writing for Breaking and Entering, um, like, I had just gotten out of school, um, and I was, like, uh, aimlessly sort of, like, um, searching for a new creative outlet, and I went to school for journalism, so I wanted to, uh, you know, even if it wasn't, you know, like a full-time like paid position like don't get me wrong I would love to have worked for 88.9 but mm -hmm. the turnover rate there is like so like small like you know people love working there and there's not a whole lot of openings there so like what can I do in the meantime and um so like I've been covering shows since February and um and it seems really like uh there's a lot of um, like passion. There's a lot of um, energy. There's a lot of like excitement about what like all the different sounds and ideas that are starting to become integrated. Um, I mean, when I've talked to a lot of musicians about like how, what they think about like you know how the music scene has evolved, especially ones that have been here for a really really long time. Um, people are sort of starting to say things that mirror that, yeah. where like, you know, there's a lot of mixed genre bills these mm -hmm. days, there's just a lot of people like, um, you know, uh, merging like social justice and community organizing with music, mm -hmm. um, Fest, for example, where I saw you guys, yep, yep. um, and, uh, there's also just like, uh, I think because of the presence of, as like, Social media has definitely made it so, like, everyone can find out what's going on when. Mm -hmm. Like, that definitely helps, too. I mean, for one, that helps me a ton, because mm -hmm. I know every show that's going on in, at t in town at, like, every day of the week. Mm -hmm. So, I think that it's becoming more integrated, or at least, uh, like I said, I, like, I can't necessarily speak on what it was like before. But from what it seems like, especially here in Rivois, people love to be out, they love to drink, they, uh, you know... Yeah, it's a party. Yeah, it, it <laughs> is a great party. Uh, the, the patio uh, at Company Brewing after, after hours, uh, it's a great time. Um, so, I think, um, I think that people just need to know what we have and really embrace it and feel like we actually are like a music city. Mm -hmm. People don't think about Milwaukee as like, oh, it's a music city. They think, oh, it's the, the drinking city. It's a beer city. It's like a, the Summerfest and there's beer and cheese and, you know, like fun things to do over the summer. But we're not, people don't really think of us like, oh, like, it's also a huge music city too. And let me put it this way, I guess like once we start really like identifying Milwaukee with like the adjective of a music city, then people will really start 
I think from internally, like, you know, embracing us for our scene. And then like, I think in that in turn, well, um, I think that more people from outside will notice us more and they'll also want to come here. Mm -hmm. So does that all make sense? Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like, there's shows every single night, like, yeah, you know, yeah, there's a lot going on for sure. Um, and I think it's like always had that history. It's always kind of been like a mid-sized city. Mm -hmm. And there's like a lot of good that can come from that. Um, mm -hmm. I like like that I, it's not like LA or New York here. You know what yeah, I mean? There's a lot of things that I like about that. I get, um, and I think it just comes with the territory. Yeah, you, like feel like you get lost, you know? Yeah. Like I'd be like it's so big and it's like the city's swallowing me, you know? Yeah, I love to visit. Yeah. I, I wanted to live um, in New York for a while, and it's a great place. I'm not trying to like compare right. necessarily. They're just totally different things. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to appreciate about like living in Milwaukee, being a musician in Milwaukee, um, networking in Milwaukee, especially in the music scene, is super easy to do if you go out yeah, <laughs> and drink. Right. Yep. Or even if you don't do that, if you're just interested, I think that there's a lot of space. Yeah. in especially the River West community to meet people. People are very open mm -hmm. and accepting and that's great. It's a lot of room for that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that a lot of like interesting stuff comes out of Milwaukee. It just is like a different rate um, than other places and the eyes aren't necessarily always on us. But mm -hmm. I think that that can give room for some really cool stuff at times and I think that people are figuring it out anyway and people are, you know, all sides of the spectrum. You can be successful and not have it be like the one thing that you do. Or it could be the only thing that you're doing. You're a full-time musician. Right, yeah. And you can figure that out here, which is great. Yeah. There's a little mix of both. There is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, it's... I think that, you know, there's really... Um, there's, there's some very nifty resources that we have out here. Um, you know, we have lots of DIY spaces that are constantly, you know, giving people that are deciding to give this a try a platform. And that's fucking awesome. Like we, I don't think our music scene would be anywhere near what it is without, you know, those basement and attic shows that are going on. Like they're right, the open mics too, mm -hmm. that happen at bars all over the place. Like, mm -hmm. Um, those, that's like, that's some real like backbone shit. So, um, how, so how about Duckling? How did Duckling form? Um, Duckling formed quite a while ago. Um, I want to say like maybe three-ish years ago. Um, this, there was a musician in Milwaukee at the time, Fivey, I don't know if you've heard of her. Uh, she lives yeah. in LA now. Um, but she was a really cool, like, um, I don't know like how to classify her music, like for lack of a better term, like R&B artist. Um, and she wanted me to play drums with her and I was like jamming with her and Jordan, who was in my band at the time, um, and we were just doing like drum and bass um, with her. And I don't know, it just worked out better for her to not have drum and bass anymore. So yeah. then she did her own thing on the computer, but then Jordan and I had really clicked and like the drum and bass thing was really working out for us so we just continued on um, and my friend Tony at the time who now lives in New York um, we had all been like wanting the same thing in terms of what 
we like wanted to be playing and the sound that we wanted to create with each other so it all just kind of worked out mm -hmm. and then we like incubated for like over a year I want to say and just like played and jammed with each other and mm -hmm. created um, a full set and then started playing out and that was really cool I think that it was really different from Ruth Bader Ginsburg music in terms of the style, so that was like a ch like an interesting challenge for me at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I was really like happy with where that brought me in terms of like what I was comfortable with. So yeah, playing in Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like the first couple of shows we did with each other, I had not played out in quite a while. I did not play the drums when I was in college. Um, I just didn't have my kit with me, mm -hmm. didn't play the drums, was yeah. kind of just like focused on school at that point. It was on the shelf. Yeah. 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 Right. In my parents' basement. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A whole drum kit, just on a shelf. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. So, yeah, I was really nervous. Um, and it was like kind of a good challenge in that way to go on stage and kind of like start screaming a bit, get louder with each other like do things on the drums that I hadn't done in a while um, and get back to that feeling that I really enjoyed when I was playing folk music in the basement right, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that happened. Um, we had our release show um, at a house show at a venue that no longer exists, um, but it was on Holton. What was it? <laughs> It was called the Jazz Oasis. <laughs> ah, well, I haven't heard of this one. Okay. It, w it used to be the Jazz Oasis, which was a real venue in this building. Okay. And then it turned into a DIY venue. Right. Um, okay. I was gonna say, like, someone uh, got a hold of it and um, made it super DIY. It's not like the <laughs> people lived there. They had shows there. Yeah. Right. That, that was the situation. <laughs> that, that, that works out. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that was really great, but then Tony ended up moving to New York, so Derek um, played with us at that show, um, and he's really good friends with Jordan. They were in bands together, Seven Costanza, um, Heavy Pets, um, they're like really good friends, like best friends, I would mm -hmm. say. So they had that connection, and Derek like gets so far out there, like Tony gets so far out there, and to have someone like come into the mix who was truthfully like the same stature as Tony. Yeah. The same vibe, like just like they really got along. Right. <laughs> they were sure. like the yeah. same person sometimes. Not not that they're the same people. But um Sure. Yeah. It was they, really cool. They were just like uh they had great chemistry, sure. Yep, and the stuff that they were doing on the guitar was out there and it was like perfectly embodying their personalities, like the stuff that they do on the guitar. So to have him come into the mix play that show with all four of us, it was like so great. I was so sad that Tony was leaving. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, shout out to Tony. Shout out to Tony. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Derek started playing with us and then we continued on without Tony. Um, and then we kind of got like more dissonant, I want to say, than we were before. Um, and just kind of all started getting pretty far out there. Um, one thing I really like about the project is we all kind of like will randomly just play completely different parts mm -hmm. than what everybody else is playing, and I don't know if other people like it. I like it, but it sounds cool. And that's what that's the. And it's fun for me, right? <laughs> and that's at, that's at the end of the day what matters. Yeah. So do you like it? Mm -hmm. You're having fun. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Fuck anyone else, <laughs> right? True that. Yeah, totally. So, 
Um, well, that's really awesome. Um, are you, uh, is Duckling, like, still pretty active? Like, are you, uh, still playing shows out? Yeah, Jordan currently lives in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. He is a brewer at Bell's Brewery, which is mm -hmm. pretty tight. Um, he's going to school for a program for, like, sustainable brewing, I think, something like that. Um. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I shouldn't say something like that. Do you care about the environment? Do you like <laughs> beer? Right. Sustainable brewing, baby. Yep, yep. yep. So, nice. we go out there sometimes, he comes here sometimes. Honestly, it's nice to not play as much as we were playing, so it's been kind of refreshing, and we're actually ready to put out a full length with that band, I would say, as well. We have a split uh, single coming out soon, I believe, um, with um, Habitat for Insanity. Okay. Um, look out for that. Awesome. Um, and yeah, hopefully we're finishing up like lyrics on one or two songs, and then I think we'll be done. Awesome. So you you're cooking. Yeah, we're you're cooking and we're uh, cooking out here. You're cooking out here, uh, <laughs> you know, um, for both projects, which is dope. You know, you're uh, making two entrees. Two entrees, baby. Two entrees. Um, well, that's that's really exciting. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure like that will um, that will feel really good for you personally to you know have you know, both projects, like, everything you've been working for for so long, like, finally realizing, like, something that, like, you know, other people can be a part of. Yeah, it's like, we have released material, I've released material in both bands, like, we have a live recording, I think, from yeah. Peter Ginsberg, yeah. and Duckling has, like, this EP that we did with Tony, so Tony's on the guitar oh, on that nice, EP, yeah. but that's, like, very outdated at this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, the live shows are cool because if you've never heard us, you're truly hearing it all for the first time, but we gotta... I mean, we started to play different songs live at this point. It's mm -hmm. been forever and, man, it is a... it is rough, dude, playing the same stuff over and over. I, I people do it. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Well, so yeah, gotta switch it up. I'll be keeping tabs, because okay. I do want to see Duckling uh, real bad. Um, so, uh, so I follow you, your, your Twitter, Mm -hmm. Your Facebook and um, gotten the vibe that you know you are uh, you have a lot of um, you know uh, you're very socially conscious, which is very awesome and uh, that reflects a lot in this. But like, I can't speak Duckling obviously, but I can speak from Ruth Bader that you know that's heavily reflected in a lot of the like sort of like the thematic material in in your music. It seems. Um, do you think that like so? I guess, for one, like, do you feel like being socially conscious is synonymous with being political? I feel like my answer to that is yes, probably, because I think that everything is political. It is. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I guess it is, if you really think and if you really, like, break everything down and, like, mm -hmm. you know... There's politics to everything. Yes, very much so. So would you consider, like any band a political band in that sense? Um, sure. I think that some bands focus on that particularly. They're more overt sense. about it, maybe. Yeah, yeah for it's sure. their purpose, I guess. Yeah, totally. I um, guess with Ruth Bader in particular, because, you know, you're an all-femme-oriented uh, outfit, um, like, I guess, like, uh, how, like, how do you want the audience to feel, like, when you're playing shows and, you know, bringing, like, all that, like, synergy with all of its 
members that are all, are all women or femme presenting, like, I guess, like, what messages do you want to get out to the audience? Like, how do you want to make them feel with, you know, the music you're playing? Um, I think that all members of Ruth Bader Ginsburg have pretty strong presence in their own moments, and that kind of comes off on stage, I would say. And I think that we all have strong opinions on things, mm -hmm. and that's great. Yeah. We make it work with all of our opinions. <laughs> yes. Right. And I think that it's really like natural. People just pick up on it, and then there's so many composers in our group writing these songs that have a lot of weight, I would say, mm -hmm. and they're all bringing their own strengths to all of that. Um, so it kind of varies. Sometimes it's a very direct message. Other times um, it can be about the emotion more so, I would say. Sure. That's being provoked. So, yeah, I guess it does that answer your question. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, I mean, yeah, like, that's cool because, I mean, in, in a way it's like, it's akin to just everyone's, you know, goals like sort of align with that where like you know everyone is a different person but they're all sort of like working towards this collective effort of you know bringing off you know of radiating style and inclusivity and passion and empowerment and uh yeah and i think that there's a lot of like simple basic ideas that we all agree on yeah and yeah. then we just sing about that with each other yeah. We sing about hating fascists. They're bound to lose. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of. They never really. Kind of the gist. <laughs> yeah. It's like they'll be in power, but they always lose. Is I guess it seems. They won't always be in power. Exactly. They. It will. Yeah. It's it's inevit it's inevitable that they right. will lose. Right. To be spreading that message in a time where people feel most hopeless, helpless, think the world is gonna end, essentially, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's important to remember that, like, we're here, there's a lot of us, there's more of us, I think. Yeah. And our voices, while they work powerfully individually, and, you know, ideas become, they are cast out into the world from an individual, you know, it's great to be bringing, you know, a lot of a lot of ideas that share the same values all together, so that we can be voices together. Mm -hmm. It sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, how do you um, like? How would you describe like I guess like uh, duckling and its differences or similarities with like your presence um, playing out in that band? Yeah, I guess it's like a totally different thing. Yeah, I mean. I feel like we purposely like try to be low-key about everything. Mm -hmm. We don't, I don't know, we do like market ourselves, but I don't think it's like direct in any way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a totally different thing. I think that it's mostly just like releasing something when we play with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's naturally gotten to be a little bit more political. We have like songs that, it's not direct like it is with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but we have a new song coming out. Okay. We'll see about that. good. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Sometimes it's a little direct, I guess. Right, right, right. Yeah. But 
as you said, which I think is a, it becomes very like uh, omnipresent. Yeah. Is that you know anything and all like media that we consume is political to some extent. So mm-hmm. um, even if it's a little a little song about a dog, you know, or. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I'm rethinking if everything is political, but I want to say that it's not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change my mind right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not gonna try to... Uh, okay. But I'm like, dogs aren't political. They can be, I guess. Dogs are, yeah, dogs are... There's dogs. potential that everything is political. Yes, yeah. It, it could be... It could be. It, it could be interpreted in such a way, I right. suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like... So, um, so the other day, um, uh, we were, uh, involved together in a Twitter exchange, mm-hmm. um, with one of my friends from Chicago and we were talking about capitalism versus socialism. And cause you had, you had tweeted, um, that like, um, people calling dictatorships socialism, like, right. I guess, yeah, like, I think it's, you know, People have like I guess I want to talk a little bit about that because it's some it's just a topic that really interests me. Um, like I used to have like like I'm no I'm not guilty of this. Like I used to have like a pretty like you know bad um, idea of socialism and like basically sort of how bad of a uh, of a picture gets painted of it. You know through you know our Western depictions of it. Um, but then I, my senior seminar in school was uh, Political Economy of the Media. And it was a class basically about Marxist theory. Mm-hmm. Countries that call themselves socialists like, are countries that are often like, associated with said dictatorships or said you know, um, you know, authoritarian regimes like you know, Russia, for example, or Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. or you know, communist China. Like, why do you, like, I guess, like, why do you think um, people are so afraid or resistant to the idea of moving towards a more socialist uh, economy? It's hard. I think that, yeah, like you were saying before, the Western world has this view and it's been kind of brainwashed into the way we think about things. Um, and the information that we get, and there have been obviously historical cases where, like you said, like in Nazi Germany, oh, yeah. I think it's about the media and the lack of free, true media in our country anymore. It's impossible. Yeah. It's like, that was what that class I took taught me, is that mm-hmm. there really is no such thing as like unbiased media. Right. Um, you know, from whether it's from the left or from the right, either way, it's like media serves a purpose and that is to, you know, compete with rival news networks, you know, to play on, you know, the human emotion, like our condition for emotion, you know, to incite that emotion and therefore cite a reaction from us and ultimately make them money. Like that's, you know, that's, that is media. It's, it's, you know, capitalism is our media. I think that a lot of people don't even think about how like a lot of things in our country are like already 
socialized, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, police, the mail, you know, like, yeah, socialism is a great thing. Education. Think about it. It's meeting people's basic needs, like we were saying in the Twitter argument. Yeah. Meeting people's basic needs by creating things to be more fair. Because I think that the connotation that is constantly, the argument that's constantly being used for capitalism is survival of the fittest, the best get to the top, it creates innovation. But it's not fair. People say that it is, and it, it just isn't. I don't see people that are on the losing end of capitalism having any, I don't see how that encourages any kind of motivation for innovation, you know? I know, yeah. It's what's been used by like entrepreneurs and people who I think have resources. Obviously there's people in history who have had adversities and came up with genius ideas and were Mm -hmm incredibly intelligent that does exist but i think that's like very minute compared to everyone else and it creates this idea that the average person doesn't have the capacity for something like ideas like that right and it's also like yeah and like when you think of like the geniuses of our of our times you know like like einstein edison newton you know like philosophers like um, when you that's f- one category. Well, that's well, right. Like, but like, you know, we think of like those are like the textbook names, mm-hmm. and we can count. And those who those people are. Right. Jeff Bezos is not one of those people. Elon Musk, I'm sorry, is not one of those people. People like entrepreneurs, capitalists today, they have resources behind them. That's how they got to where that they are. Right. And well, that's exactly. It's like they had. They were either born into privilege, or they were born into opportunity. They were born with resources, or that, or you know, they had connections to you know, um, to a way to build a venture capitalist enterprise into something much bigger. Like they, you know, we like they had like exactly what you were just saying. Like they had sort of like a, a huge way of, by a, a wide margin, a huge head start with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of, you know, humanity's greatest innovations, like the wheel and farming and music and languages, you know, like writing, you know, like those are all created long before capitalism even existed. Mm-hmm. Recently I saw Ben Shapiro say something where he was like, if you like, you know, have two jobs and you can't sustain yourself, then you should probably have like gotten. You probably shouldn't have gotten that second job and just worked more on your first job. Otherwise, like, you know, you'd be making more money. I'm like, dude, that's literally not how it fucking works. You know, it's like people. There's no reason why people that are working like two jobs that are still struggling to get by, still struggling to like pay for rent and utilities and bills and to feed themselves and their families. Like, there's no reason, and and I, and I, um, hold, you know, the external, like, governmental forces that made that, like, a necessity in the first place to make them get to, for them to get two jobs. Like, I blame that, not that person, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think that all people should, you know, be given the universal basic income. I'm super into that idea. 
I don't endorse Andrew Yang at all, even though I like that he brings that to the table. Um, yeah, I think that there's enough resources for everyone, and the 1% is getting richer and richer and richer and richer. And there's like no way, there's no way they need all that money. All right. Give away that money, dude. It's yeah. 70%, you know, AOC talks about 70%. That's great. 70% corporate tax, they're still gonna be loaded. Loaded mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives, the rest right. of their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, if we have a planet right. by then. So yeah, it's just hard, dude. It's hard yeah. to know that people think about things like that. Um, I think that I have such, like a clear idea, it's so clear to me. And I really do think it's right. And I try to acknowledge that there are other ideas and I try to be open-minded and I try to bridge the gap because I do think that it's important to keep bridging the gap even though, I mean, it's crazy to me sometimes the way people think about stuff. Like the Ben Shapiro comment, it doesn't surprise me. Well, I like to think that most commentators like him, like they have nothing interesting to say. They're yeah. just, they just do it because it's making them money. Yeah. Like Ben Shapiro is not a journalist. He's a commentator. Right. right. Like. Same with Milo Yiannopoulos. He's not a journalist. He's a commentator. Um, but aside the point, like, as we, yeah, like, everything, like, you're saying, like, as we see, like, these markets being monopolized mm -hmm. and, like, privatization is expanding, so it's even harder and harder for, you know, the lower class to afford shit. Like, you know, it's like, I, I don't see how anyone can still be in this mindset in support of capitalism where like trickle-down economics is actually going to work because it doesn't and we learned that in the Reagan administration mm -hmm. so um, yeah I don't know I like I get it like it is complex and it's not something where it's like we can wake up we can vote on it and then wake up tomorrow and we're going to be in a socialist country like I know it like it doesn't work like that, but... It can work like that. Wouldn't that be nice? I'm here to instigate, dude. I just <laughs> think... I think it doesn't have to work like that. I think, you know, change isn't linear. True. Right. But, you know, a lot of the times when social change really does, like, take foot, it's one of those situations, so I've been told and so I've learned, I guess, that it's, most of the time the people at the moment, before it happens, think there's no way that it could happen. There's no way we can make these changes. Like, the challenges that we're facing are insurmountable. And then all of a sudden it happens. And then they look back and then they realize and wonder, like, how did we think it couldn't happen? How, how did that work? You know what I mean? So I think that it's definitely possible. And I think it can happen quicker than, you know, I think that they want us to realize. I think it's intentional. Yeah, right. Well, and that's, I think that is also a huge uh, media uh, mechanism where we're taught to think that anything that we want or, or you know, hope to achieve is unobtainable, right. that it's out of our reach, mm -hmm. you know, that you need to be complicit in the system if you want to get by for example like that's why so many people like still have this mindset that like you know you have to after you go to high school you have to go to college you have to get your degree you have to you know 
get a job right out of college, a nine to five job, like start a family, have kids, and then raise them up into that like, you know, nuclear family type lifestyle, and like that's been that's been like the typecast American life, but. You know, now I feel like us young people is like, not only are we like rallying around like so many, you know, causes for justice and, you know, our voices are being heard and social media is you know, one the good thing about social media is it's made it that much easier mm -hmm. for us to mm -hmm. network and connect and for us to feel like we have a voice. Mm -hmm. But also like we're finding alternative routes to success, you know, and like people are Success is, like, an objective term. Very. Yeah. So, I think exactly. it's just how you define it. I think that our generation, you know, is seeing things differently. I think that my generation, the millennials, I think that, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to reap the benefits of what we're exposing. I think that the younger generation, you know, is going to be the people who actually put it into place mm -hmm. and I'm really excited I'm excited for them I'm happy for them I'm happy to be in my own generation I feel a lot of connection with millennials yeah. um, and I think that it's our duty to expose and I think that's what we do yeah. I think that we put those challenges up um, and ask the questions that we need to be asking right. um, and it's going to be the ones under us they're a little younger than us. Mm -hmm. They already got it all figured out. All oh, right, right. Younger, like the young people, like are having like amazing ideas already. Like there's, mm -hmm. like it's you can be young and have a voice. Like now more than ever, which is which is yeah. Really this awesome. uh, Greta, the new climate change activist, she's doing good work. How old is she? She's like fourteen. She's Holy shit! She came to. She did like a transatlantic tour um, wow. because she doesn't want to fly an airplane because of the pollution that it causes. Um, and yeah, she's been interviewed. She did the media circuit this week. The climate change strike is happening mm -hmm. on Friday. So I think she's a perfect example of that generation. That's amazing. Good for her. I know another one is Jazz Jennings, mm -hmm. uh, young trans activist, um, being able to like be somebody that, you know, went through such a, you know, difficult um, experience, which being like growing up with gender dysphoria and giving and having a voice to make people going through the same thing and helping them feel less alone mm -hmm. is like the most beautiful thing in the world. Mm -hmm. So they're going to try to knock us down. They're going to try to silence us, but you know, we're the power, I like to think. Yeah, the people of the power. Yeah. Hi, Quinn. <laughs> um, wow, we are we are shining. Shining bright. <laughs> um, well, this is a wonderful conversation about uh, socialism, about empowerment, about your music. Um, it was really good to like actually sit down and talk to you in person because like I, we've only like really like had brief interactions in the past, but it was great to like actually talk about all this stuff so you too thank, thank you <laughs> so quinn tell me what keeps you up at night what keeps me up at night oh my god everything man i'm thinking about the stuff all the time i'm trying to really practice not thinking about 
stuff all the time. The stuff. Mm -hmm. It's that fucking stuff. <laughs> Jesus, the stuff. <laughs> what we were talking about, man, it keeps me up. At That's night. all the stuff. <laughs> I'm just gonna make that the the description. Uh -huh. Just like we got into the stuff. <laughs> uh, but what puts you to sleep, though? Um, knowing that there's a lot of great people in this world, and I think that we're all doing a lot of good stuff. And you're one of them. Thanks. I appreciate it. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. You too. Be sure to check out uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Duckling and the music that they'll that both projects will be coming out with. Put in the plug, baby. And, uh, <laughs> yes, add your name to, uh, <laughs> add your name to, uh, you know, like Stop Ice, add your name to fight, you know, the burning Amazons. Like, put your name on petitions. Like, that goes a longer way than people Do realize. some direct action direct, today. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Bye. One, two, three, four.